Howdy, welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. We get ready for that, because I do think that's on many people's minds. Where is, where is the free world headed? And what does that mean for us? So thank you for your prayers. Uh, let's, let's jump in this morning. We're going to say a word of prayer and uh, continue in this study in Matthew chapter 25. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that my friends, your friends, are here today. And we're here to study. We, we want to know if this book that's often wrapped in leather is still relevant in the year 2020. We want to know that the trials we're going through are not in vain. We want to understand the things taking place around us. And we just want to experience some peace and hope that often uh, is what we're grasping for. Remind us of those moments today. Give us clarity as we look to our future, both our short-term and long-term future that you have in store for us. We just thank you and we pray for your spirit to be here. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Matthew 25, last week we took the route through the story of the, what the Bible calls the 10 virgins, or we described as these 10 bridesmaids. And we described the foolish. What's the experience of half of the group of 10 that we call the foolish? Today we're gonna talk about what's the experience of the half of the group called the wise. It was hard last week because usually when we go through stories like this, and perhaps we've heard them many, many times, we say, man, I'm just glad I'm wise and not foolish. And I had someone who I would say is a very committed Seventh-day Adventist Christian stop me at the door and say, I just want to thank you. I am definitely a foolish virgin. And there was a line that I don't think I mentioned that I thought was profound in the commentary on this story, and it says this, the class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. These individuals that believe they are on the right track, shocked in the middle of the night when their lamps have gone out and they can't get access into the wedding, they sincerely believed everything in their life was good to go. And they were absolutely shocked when that wasn't the case. So I thought that was an interesting commentary. So this morning, let's, let's go through the story again. Matthew chapter 25, and we're gonna see what's the experience of the wise. And so let's, let's just read through the story right, right quick. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, as we described last week, to pause, Jesus is on the Mount of Olives looking at a home with lights and apparently... 10 bridesmaids literally are sitting around waiting for this to happen. So it was very much an object lesson of, of reality taking place. So you can imagine the disciples are lit, uh, sitting there watching and Jesus goes on. Now, five of them were wise, five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. So in other words, they didn't prepare for what? a delay. They came for an event that the only thing they didn't calculate is the bridegroom is going to be delayed. 
And then it goes on. But the bridegroom was delayed, and they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. And here's some good context here. We read midnight, and we're like, oh, I mean, that's when I go to bed. Or, oh, that's like an hour or two after I go to sleep. So what's the big deal? But as we think about the old world with no artificial lights, it, it might read better if we read, in the middle of the night. Okay? At midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Look, uh, excuse me, then it says, verse 7. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, because in this moment they realize, I have a problem. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, but the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Verse 10, and while they went, that's the foolish, went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Verse 11, afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. And 13, watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And we talked about these ideas of this word used in the Greek here of the coming One is the coming of the priest into judgment. And one is the one, typically Seventh-day Adventists are known for preaching, which is the bursting through the clouds part. But, But Adventists are very unique in seeing that Jesus seems to describe in a lot of these parables that before he bursts through the clouds, he's had to sit for a moment, open some books, and determine, okay, he was in church every week, and uh, he paid tithe, and he beat his wife. I don't think that's a good citizen for the kingdom of heaven. And he makes a judgment call. And he goes through each of our names, knowing those inner secrets and things. We may not steal, but he may know, if I didn't get caught, I would. You know, so, so it's those inner workings. So this coming is, is actually talking about this coming in judgment, which happens before the second coming. So so given the context of the story, there's some interesting things that we need to remember that we touched on last week. One is, what is the lamp? Do you remember? Our reference is Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So in this world where if you're like me, you turn on one news channel and you turn on another, you follow one person on social media and you follow another, at the end of the day you say, I don't even know what is true. Does anybody resonate with that? You just, I don't know. I mean, that makes some sense. That doesn't. The Bible describes it as a time of darkness. And the only way to get through the darkness is with a, we could call our flashlight, they would call it their lamp. That this is the only way to make it through the darkness of the world. Uh, There is a chapter in a book called Christ's Object Lessons. I'm gonna read a few points from it this morning. One says this. The coming of the bridegroom was at midnight, the darkest hour. So the coming of Christ will take place in the darkest period of earth's history. The days of Noah and Lot are pictured 
a picture of the condition of the world just before the coming of the Son of Man. Then it describes some other points. We learn here in this story, the virgins, why are they called virgins? They profess a pure faith. That's what makes it a little even more scary. They don't reject scripture. They don't reject Jesus. They carry a Bible and they believe I am on the road to Zion because they've got the lamp. We learn some things about everyone in the story. All 10 virgins went out to meet the bridegroom. All had lamps and vessels for their oil. And for a time, there was seen no difference among them. I was talking with someone yesterday about the idea. I said, you know, it just seems like it's easier than what we paint it. And if, if people are keeping, uh, let's just take the Sabbath holy now, then if morality was ever legislated in America, well, those people are going to keep doing what they have done. And the comment was made, well, you'd have assumed that eight months ago until people were told, don't go to church, and they didn't. And now what happens if they're told you can come back to church, and they don't? It's like, oh, okay, there's a good example. You just needed a little turbulation in the stream of life, and then you start to see, oh, we actually may see some things differently, right? So I do think some of these things are, are nuances in the story that two people can appear right now as, well, they both go to church, everything seems fine, until that moment in the middle of the night happened, when nobody was really expecting it. Uh, it's described that these 10 virgins are sitting on the verge of the final moments of earth's history. Some more comments about them. All claim to be Christians. Think about that. Are all Christians homogenous these days? No. You've got Christians that are as far left as you could possibly go, and you've got Christians that are as far right as you could possibly go. Yet both would say, I'm a Christian. All of these had a call, a name, a lamp, all profess to be doing God's service. All have a knowledge of the scriptures, and all, this is a unique point, all have heard the message of Christ's return and expect his appearing. Not a lot of people expect his appearing. So this is talking to a pr pretty unique group. But at midnight, a crisis happens. If you've ever been woken up in the middle of the night, last night I was woken up in, it was literally 3 a.m. by a pack of hyenas, also known as coyotes. And so they're all down, all our animals are down our hill a little bit. And that's exactly where I heard all these hyenas. And when they've got a kill, they sound like screaming women or, or laughing and barking hyenas. It is the wildest sound. If you've heard it, you know. And so I jump up. I'm like, oh, man, wow. All right. Are they already killing the animals? Or what's this happen? But it's in that moment where there's no preparation. And what usually I'll do is I'll just grab my flashlight. I got one of these super beam flashlights. I'll click it a few times, and if I see them or their eyes, they'll scatter. I wake Annette up, I'm like, where's the flashlight? I can't find the flashlight anywhere. Totally unprepared. So you can imagine this story is that very thing. Life was going on 
as it always had been. I had my plans. I had the right amount of money in my bank account. I was going to get that next position. I know where I was going for school. And then the thing we call the monkey wrench lands in life. Let me read this from the book Christ's Object Lessons. It says it better than I ever could. It is in a crisis that character is revealed. You and I can talk all day long, but only when your feet are in the fire do I really see what you're about. You could be the head elder, and you could be smiling, and oh, he walks into church and he smiles, but you should cut him off in traffic. (laughs) Then you'll see what he's all about. Break one of his tools, then see how sweet see he is. And sometimes we think, oh, I'm, I'm good to go. Like, I'm, I'm really, I'm a good person. And then somebody does something to cross you, and you, or what happened a few years ago to me, I got in a car accident, and words came out of my mouth. I thought, I thought I stopped saying those a long time ago. And it's in that moment, so this goes on, it says, it's in a crisis that character is revealed. So I know a few of you are going through some crisis moments. I want to encourage you with the book of James that when Jesus sees potential, the only way that he refines that potential is he throws crisis into your life. In a crisis, character is revealed. It can be revealed to you and to others, but you do not really know where you stand on something until you are in a crisis. If if you take nothing away, know that today. The wise virgins did not know a crisis was coming. They were just a little frustrated that the bridegroom was late. And then they went to sleep And then like a siren in the middle of the night, they woke up. It goes on. When the earnest voice proclaimed at midnight, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. The sleeping virgins were aroused from their sleep and it was then seen, not before, but in that moment, it was seen who had made preparation for the event. Just put yourself into this story. Last week, we tried to really immerse ourselves I'm a foolish virgin. These are my emotions and experiences. Today, put yourself into the wise shoes. You're woken up in the middle of a crisis in your life, in the story it describes in the night. And then and only then do you realize, this is why I prepared. It was for this. Goes on to say, both parties were surprised, but one was prepared for the emergency. The other was found without preparation. Sometimes in the Christian life, preparation and some of the spiritual exercises feel like a waste of time. I have a meeting at 8 a.m. I'm not going to start my day without breakfast. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to study. I mean, really, this is not going to make me more money at the end of the day. This is, and we start to rationalize things. And yet somehow this group said, I'm going to do some things in life, take an hour out of my day to go exercise. Why do I go and spend time with family when that doesn't make me money? You can think of all these things in life. We say, well, what's the real benefit here? I mean, it's emotionally good, but, but this group 
for some reason says, no, I'll take a day off work each week, even though the logic says seven days of work makes you more money. So you can see all these things that, that are counterintuitive, but they prepared. Regardless, they were preparing in ways that, that weren't quite clear. And then it says this, so now, so making an application to our day, a sudden and unlooked for calamity. The world today has a definition for this, and it's the title of our ninth episode in our series, a black swan event. No one saw it coming. But after the fact, you start to realize we could have probably put, them, put some things together to see this could happen. And so in the strategy session of the virgins, they could have said, what if the bridegroom is delayed? Are we ready for that? What if, and sometimes it's good to go through those what if scenarios. I found interesting a few years ago, one of the most common traits among successful entrepreneurs is they have a very strategic what if plan. This is our plan and we're gonna plan for this and this is gonna happen. But what if it doesn't? Well, we're gonna do this. And some even have a what if of a what if. So it says this, so now a sudden and unlooked for calamity, something that brings the soul face to face with death will show whether there is any real faith in the promises of God. For a long time I read this and I thought, this is talking about a global event crisis in world history that will wake up everyone in the middle of the night and you better be prepared spiritually for that moment. But I don't think it's only talking about that. I think it's talking about Monday morning, you're gonna to go to the doctor and the, and the doctor's gonna say something like, you know, this is very strange, but uh, we got your lab work back and uh, you have cancer. I, I know this is gonna sound really crazy. You've been great here, but um, you're fired. Hey, this is the bank. I know this, is, this doesn't make sense, but we have to foreclose on your house. We've lost all your payments, whatever it may be. This crisis moment cannot be predicted. But if nothing, if nothing we can learn from this story more, but a crisis will come in your life. The person you love the most will die. The job you love the most will disappear. That thing, that, that path you have for your life will be derailed and that's usually the moment you realize, I need God to get through this world. Otherwise, I could do everything on my own. And so it goes on and finishes like this. In this moment, it will show whether the soul is sustained by grace. And then this commentary says, the great final test comes at the close of human probation when it will be too late for the soul's need to be supplied. You think about that moment of Noah and the the antediluvian world. It was sunny, it was beautiful, it was blue skies. This crazy guy was preaching for a long, long time, building something that had no need, didn't make any sense. And when he and his family get into this boat, it is still sunny. There are still plenty of animals outside and the door closes and people say, you're insane. And we're told for seven days, the whole world mocked him. 
And I think our modern application is you're making decisions in your household and in your family because for some reason you say, I think a storm is coming. And your friends say, you're crazy. And you have to be willing to say, maybe I am. But if the storm comes, I will have prepared. And resources sometimes go into that insurance. It's like, ah, what's the point of insurance? Until you need it. And so this, this here is, is what heaven is saying. There will be a crisis in your life. And if nothing else, you're not gonna go look for God in that moment for the first time. It's only by preparing and getting yourself ready. Now, what's interesting about this story is Jesus is, is really not worried about a story about a wedding. He's talking about this is what the end of the world will be like because that's what his disciples 20 or 30 minutes earlier on the same Mount of Olives in Matthew 24, they asked him, tell us about the end of the world. What's it gonna be like? And Jesus begins to describe all these different things and he's talking about the church in this story. The Christian church at the end of the world, including you and me, he says, everybody will be sleeping. And then he describes the utter, this is the part that I think if Adventism has a message in the next few weeks and months, I think this is our secret sauce. Jesus himself describes the collapse of the Christian church. That it started pure, that his disciples had a mission to go into all the world, but somehow it would be hijacked. And yet just before his return, it would still call itself Christian. And where do, we, where do we find that? If you want to turn in Revelation chapter 13, or I'm sorry, 14, I want to, we're going to look at 13 and 14. But 13 is what we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. 13 describes the old world would fall, where church and state are united. And I just want you to put your eyes on verse 11 to 18. This is what we're going to hover in on in the coming weeks. This is where Jesus begins to describe in free Protestant America, the church will realize we've lost our influence. And the only way to get it back is we need to force people to come back. Today, I think there is, a, I don't know how many people, but there is a massive march in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think it's called The Return. Is that right? The Return. Jonathan Kahn. Very interesting stuff. But don't mistake for a second that the Christian world believes this is our moment to seize. And you and I, we find ourselves in a difficult spot. Do I align with the Christian right? Do I align with the, the godless left? Where do I find ourselves? And I think it's where we find ourselves where Jesus found himself. Sadducees and the Pharisees, he didn't side with either. He said, I have to walk this path and it's a very narrow path. And it is, it is easy to align myself with one or the other, but I see through the darkness of, of the world and I recognize this is my only light. Scripture talks about that in Isaiah 60. We're gonna close there. Isaiah chapter 60, if you wanna turn there. Isaiah chapter 60 is extremely fitting as we talk about this story. Isaiah chapter 60, verses one and two. And it's a call to those 
wise virgins. It's Joel who talks about in the last moments of time, God is going to speak to people in many ways, men, women, young and old, and the medium of dreams will become a greater and greater significance. So don't ignore the Lord if he's talking to you in your sleep. That's what he had to do with a lot of busy people in Scripture. It says here, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And then here's what will happen. Verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. There's a promise in Scripture that in the closing moments of time, God uses his faithful people to show people that have never professed this stuff of God is the real deal. Disregard everything you've heard about him. Let me show you what he's like. And to continue with that commentary, it says, it is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. Men are losing their knowledge of his character. It has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. By who? By his followers. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. His character is to be made known. Into the darkness of the world is to be shed the light of his glory, the light of his goodness, mercy, and truth. Jesus doesn't stop in Matthew 25 with the story of the ten virgins. Just so his disciples would get it, he tells them a second story. And then he tells them a third story to sum it up, and he uses the description of sheep and goats. And it's very clear this is a story of judgment, that that's what he's been getting at. Guys, this is, the, this is what it's all about. And he describes it in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. This is Matthew 25, verse 31. He describes all the nations gathered before him. And then he begins to make a judgment call. The whole world is only two camps. And he begins to break down, well, here's how you decipher those camps. People were hungry. You didn't ask them their political persuasion. You said, here's some food. They were naked. You said, this person has a need. Put some clothes on them. They were in prison for, for reasons you may think they should stay in prison. But Jesus says, you went and visited them. People were sick. Boy, if there was ever a time of people either are sick or going to be more sick, and you helped them. And he begins to just walk through all these different things. The other class that are just as shocked as the foolish virgins say, but Lord, Lord, wait a second. What? Why aren't we saved? And he's like, people were in need. You didn't help them. People were hungry. You didn't give them food. People were naked. People, there were needs in the world. And you thought you were doing me a service, but you really weren't. You know, it's interesting, through, through the Old Testament, these Ten Commandments are often described, but Jesus says about his people at the close of time, he says, they keep the commandments. And what's fascinating about the New Testament is Jesus keeps summarizing them, not expounding on them, but he says, look, here are what they are. 
Love the Lord and love your fellow man. Love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. And as complicated as the world we live in is, at the end of the day, Scripture and Jesus' words here in Matthew 25 are crystal clear about these five wise virgins and the sheep that end up getting saved. They saw needs around them, and they helped people. Now, theology can get your course straight, and eventually someone may want to know, why is it you do what you do? And that's where the beauty of theology and Scripture and all this comes in. But right now, in this moment, in, the, in this dark world where people have heard about God and they hear what Christian people do, it's on you and I to say, the best thing I can do is show you by how I treat you, by how I interact with those I care for. And, and it's this sermon that for 4,000 years, all of them looked forward, what is God really like? And, and no message of the prophets could ever satisfy. Jesus came himself and said, this is what I'm like. And so your friends, your coworkers, your fellow students and everybody in your life, they've got to know that this religion you profess changes your life. And that's what they're going to judge it by. And that's what we're going to find people flocking to the Lord at the right moment because they see, you know, this, this person... They, they may have these beliefs I'm not sure of, but they care for me. And it's tangible. And I don't know about you, but in my life, talk is so cheap. It's those tangible things that friends and family do and the way we treat each other in those moments. That's what translates. And that's the good news is, my neighbors in heaven, your neighbors in heaven will have passed a test of they're going to be good neighbors because they proved it here. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.